0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 12. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Wednesday, October 19th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman. I'm joined today by co-host and producer of the podcast, Matthew Marister. What's going on, man? Happy to be here with you. Yeah, buddy. Uh, Glad to be with you again uh, for the third week in a row doing a podcast. Now, we did miss an episode last week, I think, but uh, but, hey, at least we still got one done instead of none, right? (laughs) Two is one, one is none. (laughs) All right, I'll go with that. <laughs> um guys uh welcome to this news and gear reviews episode today it's been a while since we did one of these uh so i'm looking forward to uh breaking down for you some uh some of the recent industry news if you will and also sharing with you towards the end of the episode a couple of products that uh, matthew and i will share our reviews with you on and i've You know, mine just popped into my head today, Matthew, and I'm like, I don't think I've ever actually done a review on this particular thing, even though I've shot thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds using it. So let's just say that it is well reviewed. (laughs) So I'll say what that is for later in the episode. But first, today's episode is sponsored by Mountain City Supply. Uh, Mountain City Supply is our preferred ammunition partner at concealedcarry.com. Uh, I've been shooting their ammo as well for the last year plus, And in fact, now exclusively shoot their ammunition in my competitive shooting uh, that I'm actually leaving today for the production national championship in USPSA. Uh, I'll be shooting Mountain City Supply ammo all weekend long, including uh, my signature load, which has been named the Bowman Brew, which is a 147 grain uh, a 9mm round or load that... Uh, meets minor power factor standards for uspsa competitive shooting uh shoots really nice and really soft and crazy accurate uh, based on uh, my shooting of it at 50 yards and getting somewhere between on average 2.5 to 3 inch groups out of my p320x5 pistol which is phenomenal so it's good stuff it's clean it's reliable and you can pick up ammunition from mountain city supply at a very reasonable price uh now they are a little bit backlogged right now so be just know that in advance but know that you're getting quality ammunition for a very 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 good price in fact probably one of the lowest prices you've seen anywhere online so check out mountaincitysupply.com today to purchase your next case or several of ammunition guardian nation members save uh, a modest percentage off of ammunition purchased at Mountain City Supply. Uh, so yeah, check it out. I hope that you guys uh, enjoyed their ammunition. Also, oh, I was going to mention too that they are bringing on online new equipment um, on the regular. So they are they are really pushing it and trying real hard to to be able to to catch up better with demand and also in, continue to improve their already excellent quality. Today's episode, also sponsored by ReadyUpGear.com. ReadyUpGear, if you're looking for hearing protection, dummy ammo, other various training products, bags, uh, my, for instance, my range bag, the uh, the ReadyUpGear, uh, uh, what do we call it? Dang it. It's the Range Ruck, the Range Ruck backpack. Range ruck. That's my uh, favorite range bag because it goes with me everywhere uh, and it conveniently packs very nicely into my checked luggage that i'm flying with to go to the production national championship so uh it's a great little bag super super uh uh, adaptable and has all the pockets and everything you could possibly want for organization go to readyupgear.com to see the full lineup of range firearm and training accessory products readyupgear.com Let's get into first our industry news. First up, Matthew, tell us a new record, world record. It says set in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Get this, a dude hit a target with a rifle at four point four miles.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so the dude is wanted to remain anonymous, but. Um, in this article. he has got to
0: be some like top secret squirrel or something. <laughs> Probably. You, know? you never know. I, I, I otherwise I know. like why come on, man. Like claim your fame, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, this took
1: like a team, right? So um in the article it kind of describes, you know, there was a team that built the rifle that that spec'd all the, you know, the ammunition that had spotters and in all that stuff. So it took a team to make the shot, but uh the target was uh was an eight inch circle. Uh, And like you said, it's 4.4 miles. He hit this thing. Um, just to give you an idea, it says it took 24 and a half seconds from the time he squeezed off that round till it hit the target. So that is, that's great. I mean, like, you know, saying 4.4 miles, it's a long way, but if you think about how long that took, um, but yeah, so in, it says it uh, took multiple shots. Obviously, wasn't just like he got up there cold and cranked off one round and hit it. Uh, it says it was the 69th shot um, that hit the 8-inch the, the circle, um, and it was 3.125 inches from dead center. So pretty good shot.
0: Yeah, uh, this is insane. I mean, now, granted, it's a very highly specialized rifle. It's quite large. Uh, but it is shooting a rel- I mean, relatively speaking, small caliber round. Uh, by that, I mean it's shooting a 416 Barrett uh caliber bullet, which that's big, but but we're not talking like you know 50 caliber or even you know like a 20 millimeter or something like that. And so like that's that's significant. This is a sub 50 caliber, which by the way, 50 caliber rounds, because they're they're actually kind of fat. You know They're big and they're long, but actually these 416 Barrett rounds, especially with these custom lathed uh, brass bullets and things like that, that they use for this kind of purpose, uh, they actually have a much higher ballistic coefficient, actually a lot slicker through the air than uh, than your best 50 caliber bullets. It's one of the reasons why they use these, but it's sub fifty cal. And uh, yeah, you're shooting a long, long wave twenty four and a half seconds from the time <laughs> of pulling the trigger um now, some of you will be like, well, it took them sixty nine tries, yeah, okay, they did it took sixty nine tries, but still, I mean like this is this is crazy, you know yeah um, and it says
1: they they it was a average Breeze is at eight miles per hour. The, the elevation was a thousand and ninety two minute of angle, and the, the the windage was a fifty three. I mean, like, fifty three. So, that's like, that's crazy, man. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it just if you, you know, if you're just kind of visualizing this in your mind, the wind call that you have to make to hit this thing.
0: Oh, yeah. And you have to launch the bullet at such an angle. In fact, it says in the article that the bullet has to rise 2,500 feet above the bore or from the position where it's fired, 2,500 feet up into the air. So basically a half mile, you're launching this thing up and then it's coming back down. Yeah. Uh, Starting velocity is 3,300 feet per second and hitting the target at roughly 689 feet per second. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) So I'll tell you this. Uh, A friend of mine, Adam Kodra, a few years ago was attempting to set the then- world record for long range rifle shot, uh, in South Dakota, which I think for him, he was going for 2.8 miles or something like that. Um, I think that's right. It was two something miles. It was a long ways. And we spent a couple of days there with him in South Dakota, trying to see if he could do it. And he wasn't, well, he did it, I guess, the day before we got there supposedly in practice, um, but then couldn't do it the during the official attempts uh because the wind actually was really really rough it really picked up for a couple of days there and and other you know conditions for firing just weren't i mean they actually got some pretty heavy rain on one of the days before we made the official attempt and here's the here's the thing the reason why this requires a team of people is because it's hard to see where your misses are so it's hard to like fire a shot and then, you know, be able to see, oh, that's where it went. It went, you know, low right or something or high left. It's hard to see that because you you won't even really see the bullet impacts typically because the bullet's traveling so slow by the time it impacts that far out. And if you don't have like really, really good dust or sand or something that really kicks it up when it impacts the ground, even more so much more difficult to see where it's impacting, so you get the data that you need to make the proper corrections to fire the shot. So you got to have spotters downrange that are in safe positions that are, you know, behind berms or something like that, so that they are not, you know, in the path, so they're not able to be struck by the bullet close enough to where they can actually see or perhaps even hear where the bullets are impacting. Now, when we tried this in South Dakota a couple of years ago, uh, we had a spotter or two downrange. Uh, in safe safe positions and mostly they were just able to kind of hear they were they were still struggling to see where the bolts impacted because the ground was so soft. And so it was really challenging. This is a phenomenal feat. I can't believe we're out to 4.4 miles with a standard bolt action sub 50 caliber, you know, cartridge here. Yeah, phenomenal. that's wild. Congratulations to them. Even yes, if it sir. took 69 tries.
1: If 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 it took 169 tries, still impressive.
0: Yeah. Next story: Prairie Fire named as potential acquirer of Front Sight in bankruptcy filing. So, the Front Sight training facility in Pahrump, Nevada, it's been there for a couple of decades, uh, has a pretty loyal following uh, amongst those that, that have memberships there and, and that regularly travel there for training. You know, one of the big things with Front Sight is it was built as being this sort of resort community for avid gun owners and and train, you know, people that like to train in in shooting and firearms and whatnot. And so they'd sell people, you know, plots of land and things like they were going to, you know, build out this fancy development plan uh, to really turn it into this resort training facility. Not a lot of that has materialized very well, uh, or at least certainly according to the timeline and in the manner which was promised to be delivered. And Front frankly, has just been having some struggles. That is apparent. They're actually currently in bankruptcy proceedings, uh, and part of that is they, they need to liquidate some assets. And, and by that, first and foremost, the actual training facility itself, about 550 acres of land uh, with tons and tons of, of shooting bays and various uh, other buildings and assets and things. We're talking about a $24 million deal uh, to sell the front site training facility to another company called Prairie Fire, which I had never heard of and I've done a little bit of looking into. Uh, I mean, from my impression, a relatively you know up-and-coming company trying to make a name for themselves, trying to establish themselves in in the uh, industry, and uh, by this acquiring, you know, they obviously have some some deep pockets trying to acquire this massive training facility and to turn it into their vision of a world-class facility. There are provisions apparently for taking care of existing. Uh, front site members to allow them to convert their memberships over into Prairie Fire memberships. The memberships are being tweaked and reworked and and different things. I I looked at the whole, there's like a spreadsheet that explained all the different memberships and membership levels. And if you're an existing, you know, front site diamond, you know, plus gold, platinum, whatever member thing, then, you know, there's opportunities for where you can convert into these new uh, prairie fire memberships from what I could see, it didn't look quite as mm, the, some of the front site membership programs were, were pretty, pretty darn good as far as like, you know, you, for instance, I will say this, I have a diamond front site membership that was gifted to me. I have never used, and I've looked into that a little bit, just out of curiosity. And supposedly like, I mean, I can go just about any time, as many times I want and take all the classes available at the front site. Uh, It didn't seem to me looking at the Prairie Fire information that that would be, you know, that I'd be able to continue to do that. Although continue is a funny word because I've never done it and I wasn't necessarily planning on utilizing it. But anyway, here's the other interesting thing that Prairie Fire is doing, Matthew. Uh, They are creating a whole new series of competitions with some really big cash prizes. Uh, I'll tell you cash is king and gets people very interested, very fast because in the competitive shooting sports, especially in practical shooting uh, sports, there's not a lot of money, especially on the table to be won. My friend, uh, Isaac Lockwood won the build drill challenge at the carry optics national championship last month. Uh, in addition to placing pretty competitively in the overall rankings of the actual match. But this side match this is a build drill challenge they did. Okay. So you paid 20 bucks and you got two attempts at shooting your fastest build drill. And he or she who had the fastest overall build drill won this massive cash pot. My friend, Isaac won like (laughs) $5,000 shooting, like putting down the fastest build drill time in the side match. Guess who the champion, who was Nils, Jonathan Guess what? He won cash wise, no zero. Idea. He had to walk the prize table first, and probably picked uh. up a, a a pretty decent, you know, gun or something off the prize table. It might have been a twenty five hundred dollar gun or something. That's still, you know, pretty cool and all. But he didn't get no cash in his pocket at the end mm-hmm. of the day for shooting that match. So Prairie Fire has uh, what this for for the year twenty twenty two. What they call the the rank championship. Uh, and there's a there's a hundred thousand dollars on the line in the year 2022, and supposedly in 2023 there's going to be like a million dollars or something like that, crazy on the line for the 2023 overall like championship. Uh, so that's that's crazy, it's, it's got my attention. Uh, <laughs> some of the competition I've looked into, I'm like, well, it doesn't look like my flavor of thing from what I can see. And also, you got to go shoot in these like qualifying championships. Uh, which the first ones actually, there's like two of them I think going on the weekend of October 28th, uh, and I, that's not going to work with my schedule. So it doesn't look like I'm winning $100,000 this year. But anyway,
1: <laughs> well, hopefully the Prairie Fire dudes can uh, can re in you know energize uh, the 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 base there, you know, and get some money flowing in with different um, different strategies than that that you know maybe weren't being employed. Uh, prior to and and carry on the, the legacy, because I know a lot of people are very invested in that place, not just financially, but like emotionally, too. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. So the new facility they are saying will be called the Prairie Fire Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're going to I mean, uh, there's three core like areas or zones of that property where different training facilities are located they say they've got everything all mapped out planned out as far as how they're going to use it and ultimately the the uh ceo or president of prairie fire says uh where'd that go i had it right here um just says that I guess I'll summarize it because uh, I, I lost it here. He just said that they, you know they want to bring in as many people as they can into the shooting sports into you know uh, this lifestyle. So, oh, there it is. We want as many people as we can bring into this industry. We want to provide them with something fun, something satisfying, and continue to grow the sport. It's vitally important. And so, uh, well, we'll see what this turns it turns into. I think uh, you know it's it's a it's a, a re- frankly it's a very. Amazing training facility. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what they turn it into and what they do and if it uh, uh, lives to fulfill its destiny, if you will. Right on. Next up, beloved German Sig Sauer P226X5, now made in the USA. Matthew, tell us about this. You wrote the article on concealedcarry.com.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you guys probably know about Sig Sauer's p226 uh a lot of it came out like in the 80s Uh, a lot of cops carried it it was a uh it was a very good dasa gun um people liked it a lot well sig produced a single action version and they called it the x5 and you know it had some refinements in in the trigger and and Fitting and in stuff like that, uh, in in addition to being uh, a single action versus the you know the the DASA of the regular two two six, but that was made in Germany. Up until now. So SIG just released uh, this, I think it was the last early, uh, October 5th, so earlier this month, um, that they are going to be producing this gun now in the United States, which it was previously only made in Germany. Um, and the article uh, I've embedded, you know, a, a video from Max Michel who raves about this gun and how this is going to be uh, a com- C- uh, gun that he possibly uses in, in competition that he used to use the, the German made X five. Um, but yeah, for you guys that, you know, are into, you know, uh, w- like the X five, but you know, are loyal to stuff being made in the United States or something, um, this, this might be now appealing to you, or um, I don't know what the, I, I looked on the website, I can't find an MSRP. Um, I wh- wasn't able to find any local shops or any shops that had a price. So I don't know if this is going to be less or more expensive or the same as the one made in Germany. Um, you would hope it would be a little bit less, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, I know we talked a little bit about this earlier and you had some ideas about this being used as a as a competitive gun, um, in, you know, you had some insight on that.
0: Yeah, you know, so uh, this the, the original X five P two twenty six. I mean, it, keep in mind this is not even the same gun, really, as like your standard P two twenty six. Yeah, it shares the same kind of heart and soul, and you know, the the frame and slide and internal components are a lot, you know, basically the same dimensions but this is a completely tricked out gun. Uh, for instance, to put this in perspective, you can go buy a even the SIG P226 Legion single action only. Uh, so just your standard 226, but it's got you know the Legion package and it's single action only. Uh, you can get those for, oh, I don't know, $1,200, $1,300, bucks, something like that. The original German-made... X5. Now, keep in mind, these had to be imported from Germany to get here for you to buy them in the U.S. We're talking a three to three thousand to forty five hundred dollar gun, right? So not even in the same ballpark as uh, you know, your standard P226. So, what the the new ones being made in uh, the U.S.? I don't know if they're going to be uh, more competitively priced, uh, I would imagine so. Uh, but it's cool that they're going to be built here because Germany stopped building them. So, uh, you know, people were kind of sad that they were just going to go away, and that you know these German-built SIG Sauer guns, uh, of which there's more models than just the X5, but people were disappointed to learn that a lot of that operation was shutting down. Uh, well, it already was kind of, but moving really all of its manufacturing capabilities for the most part to the U.S. because Germany's making it so difficult to do, do business there. But uh, the P two twenty six X five, this looks very nice, very attractive, uh, beautiful gun. I'm sure it shoots like a dream. Uh, it's got a you know it's got a magwell on it, single action only, tuned trigger. It's adjustable for over travel, pre travel. Uh, brake, weight, all of that, uh, supposedly, you know, it's gonna be a little bit better fit than say the standard 226 and things of that nature. Um, very, very beautiful gun. Uh, MSRP, like I said, I tried to find out as well. And I didn't see anything listed anywhere just yet on this particular offering. All right, Matthew. So let's go on to the next one here. Uh, we actually got a YouTube video. Uh, this was something that you uh, dropped into our internal team chat yesterday. Uh, YouTube video about a, a, a guy on a YouTube channel called Gungus Khan <laughs> uh, called uh, my Sig P320 fired on its own in the holster and tried to shoot me. This is a P320 X5, he says. So why don't you give us a summary of uh, what's going on here with this video and and kind of the uh, the whisperings, if you will, in the in the industry?
1: Yeah. So I'll, in general, uh, if you haven't followed along, there's been a history with the with people claiming that the P320, um, you know, initially it could fire if it was dropped at a certain angle and struck the ground at a certain angle and in in all that uh, Sig. Retrofitted the t- uh, the triggers, or or did a uh, voluntary upgrade on the triggers, um, and then r- there's been some accounts of th- from different police agencies who have been using uh, the the standard P320s. Um, that there's been instances of them going off uh, in the holster with no manipulation of the trigger, uh, f- and that's the report. So, um, you know. This guy, um, Gungus Khan, which is a clever name, um, he posted a video talking about an experience he had recently at a local steel competition where he was shooting. Um, ran dry, put in a new magazine, sent the slide forward. Says he he um, holstered the gun and was moving his hands up into the cylinder position to to do the next string of fire, and his his firearm. Uh, his p320x5 uh, clicked off around and uh fired around it didn't injure him it's, it's you know he's is owb holster um you know deflected off his knife that was in his pocket showed some some bruising from that but he's okay nobody was injured um, but this i shared it with riley because i know you know he carries a, a 320 he's very in tune with uh the the inner workings of the 320 talk you know um has many more friends than i do that are more knowledgeable about uh you know the specifics on the trigger and and this and that but i shared it uh just because this is one of the the latest kind of um example or claim that there is some sort of issue where the 320 can fire on its own. And to be clear, I'm not saying that it can, or it can't, I don't know. Um, I'm just reporting, you know, sharing this video that this guy in, you know, I'm not saying that he's a liar or not. We don't know. Um, but you know, um, I thought that it was interesting to share given the history and, and all that, and just, uh, thought it would be interesting to share with you guys and and kind of get that discussion going with Riley.
0: Yeah, uh this is a very controversial controversial thing. Uh I, and I'm going to be careful, you know, discussing it here publicly on the podcast. Uh partly because I don't want to stoke any mm, I don't want to stoke any flames, you know, regarding this whole thing. Uh P320 has been a running joke for several years now since what probably 2017, I think when the drop the the, the original drop issue came out, you know, where uh, not even all models of 320s, like the X5s, for instance, were not as susceptible, if if not, or or weren't really susceptible at all to the same thing, from what I understand. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the P320 in 2017 is discovered, uh, you know, have this very specific angle uh, that it was susceptible to in terms of drop safety, right? Um, big Big, big, big part of that was the mass of the trigger and the trigger components. So not just the trigger itself, but also like the trigger bar and the sear, and all those are every every component that's part of that trigger system is really, really important uh, that it is tuned and that it's balanced, you know, properly. Uh, in a variety of ways, but especially, obviously, in safety, because safety is, is paramount. And, uh, you know, the initial fix was 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 done, the voluntary upgrade program. Uh, it was done as a voluntary upgrade program. People say it should have been a recall. Uh, but the fact is that the P320 passed all industry standard drop tests, you know, standards, uh, even in that so-called, you know, flawed uh uh, configuration. It, it passed, you know, your, all of your same industry drop standards that all the other manufacturers, uh, build their guns and test them, uh, according to. And so at the same time, people want to know that, you know, a guns, not, you know, that we, we, we want to know that there's zero chance of a gun going off, uh, if it's dropped or banged or bumped into and that kind of thing. Right. So I get that. Right. And so the voluntary upgrade program, it's a good thing. It happened. All my guns are upgraded. Uh, I'm happy they're upgraded. Uh, I actually prefer the upgraded trigger now. I didn't used to, but uh, going back, you know, like I, I have felt other people's non-upgrade triggers since I got mine done, and I, I don't prefer the original trigger. I like the the new trigger, uh, especially when you've you know uh, smoothed it out a little bit, you know, broken it in that kind of thing. I think it turns into a pretty nice trigger, a very usable trigger. But anyway. Um, since the upgrade program was established, right, and the the initial problem was kind of pushed away, uh, there's been reports of guns that just go off inadvertently, not because of drops. They just go off. Um, I don't know how to answer this, okay? I, I do think that some of these are incidents where people actually make a mistake and don't want to own up to that mistake and want to point the finger somewhere else and, and hopefully... S- you know, cash in a big fat settlement check. I frankly think that there's several of the incidents that I have came across in the news over the last you know year or two or three that I, I believe there are people that made mistakes and, and are not claiming responsibility for those or, or, and not necessarily intentionally, by the way, like I just had a, a, a conversation with a trusted friend uh, yesterday about this very thing. I'm not going to mention him by name right now because I'm not going to say who that is, uh, especially since we're talking about sensitive things here. But uh, he was just reminding me about how, I mean, you tell me if I'm you know, saying anything crazy here, Matthew, but when people experience a very stressful, traumatic event, what's their memory recall like about yeah. the event?
1: I mean, things get twisted, the time frames get inverted, and some, sometimes events are out of, out of order or out of place, and you might yeah. not even remember doing something.
0: Uh, this is not just something we're making up like it's a documented scientific level kind of sort of thing you can go read about some of that on websites like force force science institute and so forth about what happens uh to people after a you know a, a traumatic incident uh you know this latest one this guy on this youtube video uh says you know he explains what what happened and how it went about and how he holstered the gun and raised his hands up like this. Like he was going to begin his next string in the steel challenge match. And then it all of a sudden went off. And he says that witnesses corroborate um, that same timeline, but it could also be even witnesses own memory. Recall is not as accurate as what you'd think as well. So I don't know. Um, I don't know how to explain it. I do know that I'm incredibly familiar with how the P320 trigger system works and I find it incredibly hard to believe more data, more information desired and required to you know make a for sure uh, decision on it. Here, I will point people to uh, another YouTube resource known as it's a YouTube channel called Sig Mechanics. So if you really want to understand how the internals of a P320 work, and all, including the safety uh, features that are built in, uh, you can go look up the Sig Mechanics YouTube video. And he's got a number of videos, and he's a, he's an engineer by profession and breaks it down and he's actually based in in uh, canada of all places but uh, has his hands on some P- p320s and is able to break them down and show you know explain how they work uh, go to sig sig mechanics on youtube watch that it'll uh, open your eyes i think as well in terms of how the guns actually operate and how the safeties operate uh so just so you're a little bit better informed because uh, well, the problem with this kind of stuff matthew and that's why i want to be careful with it is that People hear things, even or even just read or hear about a news story like this or somebody's experience, and automatically, you know, just start respouting, uh, you know, what they heard or, or thought they heard, you know, about a thing, or or start sharing, you know, their assumptions about what must be going on. And it's I think it's really important uh, that uh, you know we we try to seek for the answers and have a fact based uh, uh, position on uh you know what the truth here is
1: yeah and and to be clear no one's calling this dude a liar or 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 anything um you know or anybody else um i you know i i I know i can speak for riley it's just uh, i think it's prudent to to kind of uh you know pause and try to look at this as a big picture and and see um but yeah I, i i you know I, I debated sharing it, you know, because I don't want to be one of those people that just shares something virally. Um, but I think it's worth having a conversation um, as long as we, you know, we're we're doing it as a conversation, not trying to call somebody a liar or say a whole company is – deliberately putting unsafe guns in the hands. I mean, those are two extremes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One on one. end, people are saying, you know, sig knows about it. They don't care. They just want money and they don't care. if People are dying. The other side saying, you know, the gun is safe and that guy's a liar. So Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of,
0: yeah. Yeah. And I don't know either with respect to that stuff, you know? Um, And I will say that I have personal friends that work there. Um, And so like, this is, you know, there, there's a personal level there, too, you know, and, and I, I, I like those people. I trust those people and would love to think that, you know, <laughs> that, that nothing intentional is being done or swept under the rug uh, where people's lives are potentially, you know, at stake. So um, uh, it's a very serious matter, and, and I hope that we can uh, be careful with respect to any speculation and uh, just ask patiently uh, for for the truth you know, and to 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 see if we can't get to the bottom of of all this. Um, as I mentioned, I, I do believe some of these. I'm not saying, and when I said earlier, I was not speaking specifically to this gang, Gungus Khan's experience in saying that I believe that this is made up with him trying to cash in some, you know, big fat settlement check. I mean, that was not who I was speaking of, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced of, of having followed a number of these similar reports that were, you read the circumstances of it, and you're like, mm, that sure sounds like somebody, you know, Uh, had their finger where it shouldn't have been when they were reholstering or had something get into the holster while they're reholstering, you know, clothing uh, tassels from jackets, that kind of thing uh, without realizing it and having, you know, and that's the other thing is like other people may not intentionally be uh, trying to uh, skirt responsibility that, that they may truly believe that it's a problem with the gun. uh, But without knowing that, Hey, you know, actually the tassel or this thing or that thing, your keys, uh, Whatever, you know, something got into the holster, into the trigger guard as you were as you were holstering and you you didn't know it, didn't realize it at the time. And when you were startled by it suddenly going off, you you know reacted and pulled back, and that caused, you know, the the string or whatever was caught in the trigger to, to come, you know, to get pulled out of it. So there was no evidence left behind of what happened. You know, there's just so many possibilities here. But I will say is that the upgraded gun has a lot of redundancies built into the safety mechanisms. And I've said it before, and I'm still, in terms of my pure engineering, I'm not an in just the the pure understanding of the mechanics of the, based on that information alone, I I believe it's one of the safest designs out there. But these stories certainly cast some shadow on that. So that's where I want to know more. All right, got to move on because we're going to run out of time. Um, FBI, Las Vegas shooter had NFA weapons. Uh, this is a pretty interesting write-up from Dan Wos or Wos, uh, I can't remember how you pronounce his name, um, on MLN.com. Um I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. It's more of just like a FYI. You should know about this and you can go read the article. Of course, you can read all the articles and, and videos and things that we share on the podcast uh, in the show notes of each episode. You, everything should be hyperlinked so that you can get to these articles. Uh, but basically we were all told when the Las Vegas Mandalay Bay shooting occurred that he was using bump stocks. But what's interesting is, and what's coming to light is is that apparently the weapons weren't all inspected at a level where we have a a degree of confidence in what the actual setup of those were because apparently there were prohibited firearms also in, in this man's possession. And well, at the time, bump stocks weren't prohibited. So what are these prohibited firearms that are referenced by the FBI? This was according to their own report. In fact, they said the day after uh, the the uh, horrible incident on October second, twenty seventeen, that he was in, that the shooter was in possession of prohibited firearms. So, what were these prohibited firearms? According to a PowerPoint presentation, which is uh, uh, accessed uh, from the ATF, it says here that there were no external visual indications, automatic sear pinhole, for instance, that the weapons had been converted into machine guns. However. I'm quoting from, right from this slide, from this PowerPoint slide from the ATF. On-scene ATF personnel were not allowed to physically examine the interior of the weapons for machine gun fire control components or known machine gun conversion devices, such as drop-in auto sears, lightning links, etc. And still to this date, says the ATF has not been able to conduct a full examination of the firearms used in that incident. So what the heck is going on here? And why are we told that it was the bump stocks and the ba- and that bump stocks are bad and we must therefore outlaw them via regulatory fiat from the ATF mm-hmm. when it, maybe there were some bump stocks involved but maybe there were other things too and it's not all the bump stocks fault. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, and we know that it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the bump
1: stocks fault. <laughs> to begin with, like we all understand that. But I think what this uh, article and I, I won't, you know, go too deep. Like you said, we were kind of running short on time. But um, what this tends to, to do is uh, paint a picture that we can't that that the, the that the FBI um, is not completely being honest with what's going on prohibiting certain investigations on these weapons using potentially the bump st- the the tragedy as an opportunity to you know ban a certain uh, feature or a certain uh you know uh, item and, and really, if you look at what happened after that, that kind of opened the door, set sort of a precedence to precedent for other things to be kind of backdoor um, regulated. And, you know, it, it, it could be, you know, total error, but when you don't allow investigators to investigate or look at firearms in a, in one of the biggest you know mass shootings that's that, that that's happened um and you and there's so much controversy surrounding what happened um you don't do anything for credibility's sake and i and i think that this needs i think people the, the american people regardless of you know what the end result is deserve to know what's going on what happened and you know if 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 they were kind of using the tragedy as an opportunity to do something like, you know, ban to push a, a, an agenda? A, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, people we, we deserve to know. I I think we so. We do.
0: We do. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not going to speculate or or uh, you know talk about conspiracy theories or anything here. But but the fact that ATF is straight up saying like we we've never been able to review these firearms mm-hmm. to see what about them was prohibited. Well, that's really suspicious. Yeah. Anyway, thought you guys should know. Uh, we're going to move on now, but uh, that is uh, something to be aware of. And it doesn't come as, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, a couple of years ago, I might have been like, ah, FBI, like corrupt, you know, with what's all happened in the last few years in terms of other things, other evidence of uh, corruption uh, becoming more evident within some of our federal agencies, including law enforcement uh, like agencies like the FBI, uh, it's not much of a surprise. Unfortunately, we need to restore re- restore faith and trust in some of these institutions that you know we rely upon to do investigations and and federal policing work like this. But anyway. Matthew, you wrote another article here on concealedcarry.com. The battle over credit card tracking of firearm purchases continues. What's going on here?
1: Yeah, we talked about this. I don't know if we managed to get this on the podcast, talk about it on the podcast previously, but um, I know that in August, uh, I published an article about when this kind of first broke that that credit card companies um, were trying, were going to institute or in, Create a category of purchases or items um, to single out firearm purchases, um, not just firearms, but but you know it could f- any uh, purchases from a store that sells firearms, and that would include firearm accessories or anything else. Um, and so this was a push to say, well, um, you know, we want to be able to flag suspicious purchases and so if somebody's going out and buying an arsenal of firearms and they buy 3 firearms and 2000 rounds of ammunition you know um we want that we want to be able to to flag that because that's suspicious and it could indicate somebody's going to come and you know uh, conduct a, a mass shooting yeah. and we know that that's absolutely ridiculous that people buy multiple firearms all the time. They buy, um, you know, bulk ammunition all the time, but they needed to carve this out because traditional firearm purchases or ammunition purchases or anything uh, would fall under sporting goods. So, this is this was talked about, and some people were saying, "Oh, this is you know yet another conspiracy theory and all this stuff." Well, it turns out it's true um, that it happened, and uh, it's pushed by uh, an um, an organization called the ISO. It's a, it's a uh, foreign organization that kind of manages. Uh, uh, well, I'll just read from from their uh, website. It says ISO is an independent, non-governmental, international organization with a membership at 167 national standards bodies. Though it's member through its members, it brings together experts to share knowledge and develop voluntary, consensus-based, market-relevant international standards that support innovation and provide solutions to global global challenges. So this is the organization that puts, uh, you know, that works with banks and merchants to craft these, uh, merchant codes that credit card companies use. And now, um, that is absolutely, uh, a, a reality. And so in the article, um, I, you know, put a couple, uh, Comments from from various you know, senators that are concerned with this. Obviously, the ramifications of starting to flag, you know, uh, purchases, legal purchases that have nothing to do, like that, that are. N- nowhere near an indicator that you have a propensity for violence, but where is this information going? And and how are they going to be? How is it going to be used is very troubling. Um, we're not taught they, they, you know, we're not talking about a, um, you know, using credit cards to purchase uh, illicit drugs, or, you know, um, illegal, you know, relationships online and things like that, right? We're not talking about illegal activity. We're talking about F- totally constitutionally protected you know rights to own firearms to purchase them and so um this this was very troubling to me very scary um and yeah so uh, i could go on and on but very troubling
0: yeah yep well yeah i mean previously this type of stuff would have just been classified as sporting goods Right, same as buying hockey gear, basketball, soccer, baseball gear, uh, firearms, ammunition, et cetera, sporting goods. Now they want us to track that specific enough that we know that it's firearms and/or ammunition or related accessories. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the point of this? What's the point of this? Well, I think that you can read between the lines there. It's interesting the I mean, ISO right I mean, establishes standards in all kinds of industries mm-hmm. for all kinds of things. So like I'm not going to be too judgmental of that, but what's interesting is that like there, there's a reason for standardizing things across industries, even across the world. It simplifies life in a lot of aspects, right? But here it's interesting how it's coming into play in the United States where over in Europe or somewhere else where gun control is much more of a thing, much more than here uh, where they don't have the same attitudes that we have where they don't have a second amendment, let's say, or whatever it is. And to them, ah, this seems like a reasonable thing. Let's track these firearms and ammunition purchases a lot more closely. That seems like a good idea. We're going to do that. But that, what does that look like here in the United States of America where, we have a second amendment mm-hmm. where we have a history of freedom and liberty. And, and, and that is, that is based around the, the ability for regular citizens to own and possess and carry and use firearms for valid purposes, including self-defense. Like this is a very, very big deal to us. And the financial institutions are like, Hey, let's go along with the standard. Seems like a good idea, but how can that information be used? Well, it can be used terribly. It the, will be. And likely will be. Yeah. yeah. Especially as government goes, hmm, you know, whoever's in power thinks like, hey, let's let's get our hands on some of this information and let's do something with that. That's a problem. That's a problem. So anyway, we want you to be aware of that. And you should be contacting, writing, talking to your registrar. Your <laughs> regist- your legislators <laughs> and your senators and your, your government leaders and voicing your displeasure about such proposals and letting them know that this should not be permitted in the United States of America. Uh, do you know if they use codes on debit cards? I'm pretty sure debit cards are tracked and, and yeah. categorized just like anything else. Anything yep. that's paid for electronically via the internet or whatever means is I'm almost certain is, is categorized in some fashion. So I assume so, Scott. Yeah.
1: I mean, and, and you have PayPal that's basically doing the same. I mean, they gather all the information on what you purchase. So it's, it's, you know, I, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but like, you can feel the walls closing in on how they're want to be able to know who's buying guns, who's buying gun yeah. parts and whatnot. So.
0: Well, unfortunately I have a flight to catch so we're we're gonna have to start wrapping this up but we still have to do our reviews oops um, but we, I do want to mention that we do, we have an article here from New Zealand talking about how New, how New Zealand crime rates particularly violent crime rates have been trending upward murders are higher uh, uh, injuries particularly specifically said here I assume injuries yeah rates of injury caused by firearms are are trending upward as well. Keep in mind that back in, what was it, 2019? Was that when they did all? Yeah, back in yes, 2019, 2019 was the big buyback they did, and they also proposed all all kinds of very strict new gun control in the aftermath of that terrible shooting that took place in a New Zealand church, in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, I got real root, not so much, I guess church, you know what I mean? Uh, synagogue or or. Mosque, I, I can't remember now. Yeah, So many things uh, in my brain, but anyway, a, a worship, a place of worship, right? It doesn't really matter. It was a religious institution, and they, they went through something absolutely terrible. Because of that, they instituted all kinds of gun control. So what you can go check out in the show notes is read this article about how crime is not doing better. Uh, things are on the rise, even with the much stricter gun control they instituted in the aftermath of that Christchurch shooting. So no surprise to those of us in the know, but it's good to to know and educate ourselves about such things. Yep. Let's get now to our gear reviews. I'll go ahead and start first. I realized, as I mentioned in the beginning episode, that I don't think I've ever officially reviewed this product, even though it is one that I have used extensively. What is that product? The Sig Sauer Romeo 3 Max Optic. This is uh, Max Michelle's namesake. Uh, It's the optic that he competes with. And coincidentally is also the optic I have on my pistols that I use in carry optics competition. So this is the optic here. I've actually got three of them. Uh, They have been used extensively. I mean, uh, I lose count sometimes, but tens of thousands of rounds collectively through all these three different optics, Individually, some of them probably as much as uh, somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand rounds. Typically, before I send them in for service, not because they've totally broken on me, uh, but keep in mind that these are uh, a high wear and tear item. In the way, you know, I shoot competitively. We shoot very fast. We are not necessarily kind and gentle with our guns. Uh, we push things to the limits, and. Uh, For me, competitively speaking, I want the best equipment that gets me my desired result, right? Now, I shoot with uh, other uh, various optics, uh, including ones that are more geared to the concealed carry or defensive market. And those are fine optics as well. But let me tell you what the Romeo 3 Max is really designed for. It has a really nice, big, tall uh, window. It's also fairly wide across the bottom. This gives you a nice... Wide field of view w- through which you can view and see that red dot in there and all kinds of you know forgiving angles it's a lot that's one of the big reasons why to have a big window is it's a little bit more forgiving uh and you're able to keep the actual dot itself within the window more uh while shooting particularly at high rates of speed and so that allows you to track that dot more consistently and be able to shoot faster while maintaining reasonable you know, expectations of accuracy. And so Romeo 3 Max is a, a competition-focused optic. It's not something I would recommend for defensive use necessarily. I, I mean, I'm sure you could, but as you'll see, one of the reasons why this one's not mounted on the gun, it's kind of hard to see in my camera here, but for those of you that also aren't even watching the video, uh, this one's got a little crack uh, along the left edge of the actual glass itself and it's still completely functional in fact i shot it with this crack in there for probably 2000 rounds before i was like okay it's time to get this thing off and get it sent in for service and that's why it's sitting here is it's ready to go and it's in its box this is what comes with the Romeo 3 Max you see you get a get actually a plate that you can use to mount it to a picatinny rail for like a rifle uh you get a optic cover here a rubberized cover it kind of keeps it protected you get some mounting screws and some allen wrenches and things for adjusting uh that the, the uh, very you know the windage and elevation of the actual optic itself as well as mounting it to the gun it's a it's a great optic it's not the strongest most durable thing in the world It's a high-performance optic, so it's something you expect to buy and use and swap out or fix or replace as needed, uh, at least how I view it. So I I expect to get about 10,000 round life out of each of these. Sometimes I get more than that, sometimes perhaps a little bit less. The nice thing is Sig Sauer, with this optic, as all of their optics, they have a very, very good warranty and one that I've used a couple of times, as again, these are high round count items for me. So they've gone back uh, a time or two Mm -hmm. for servicing and no questions asked and they get replaced and usually back in my hands within a week or two and I'm back up and going. And the reason I have three of them is so that I've always got two available for use and a third one that's uh, in standby mode for a backup or to be able to be sent in for, for servicing. And so there you go. Romeo three max optic Uh, not the choice for everybody, but if you're looking for, one of the best optics for competition use with a beautiful crisp dot, very forgiving field of view. This is one of the best that you can try.
1: Cool. Very good. Very good. Um, mine is going to be uh, this um, Lexington holster from KSG Armory. And I know that we recently uh, as a company purchased KSG Armory. This is not a plug. Um, I, I, I got one that, uh, you know, the, the company gave each employee a holster. And, but the reason why I chose, and I got my barrel block and my SIG uh, P365, I'll set it over here. Um, The reason why I chose this is, you know, I know that um, I've talked to, I've talked to Riley extensively about holsters in the past. Uh, I've done numerous holster reviews and, and, when you guys started designing or you know, coming up with this idea of kind of combining a couple of the holsters that KsG had, um, i I knew that it was gonna be good. And the reason why I really like this holster, um, number one, it's it's formed really well. Um, but I, I like that it has a tremendous amount of um, uh, ability to uh, adjust not only the cant, um, but the, I guess like the, the torque right through, um, through the mod wing. So you can, the mod wing is is a great wing to have because you can adjust the, the, the thickness of the wing itself. So you can add more torque or less, or you can take the wing off and not have any, Um, and also, um, the, you can adjust it for, um, sort of, uh, the keel effect, I guess what everybody's calling it, but the, the kind of, uh, You know, the amount that the, the grip portion is driven into your body, say, if you're wearing it, uh, not the twisting, but, uh, the up and down kind of that direction, uh, adjustment, the, the, the wedge here I've had, I've used wedges from other companies. This is more comfortable. Uh, it's, it's wider and larger and easy, more easy to adjust. Um, the, the clips These DCC clips are fantastic. Probably um, the only metal clips that, you know, that you're going to need. Obviously, if you use soft loops, you can use soft loops with this as well. But if you like clips, I I would definitely um, use these. They clip onto the belt better. They hold onto the belt better. um, And they don't allow that kind of rocking motion uh, that you get sometimes with those foamy clips. Um, and so overall, I was just really impressed that you can also order this with an extended length, which is not unique to this holster, but, um, I like that because, uh, with the P365 and probably, you know, other similarly sized guns, if you get the holster and it stops right at the, at the, uh, slide length, um, you will have, a. it is more difficult. I I find to conceal that. And if you add an inch, inch and a half, uh, in some cases, maybe even two inches to that holster, I know it sounds counterintuitive for comfort wise and concealability, but it ends up being able to uh, allowing you to conceal it and more comfortable. So overall, a fantastic holster, uh, from KSG. It's the Lexington. I love it. I got it for the P365. I added the extra length on it and, uh, yeah, uh, very, very, uh, very happy with the holster.
0: Awesome, man. I, I'm glad you're happy with it and that it's working out great for you. I mean, obviously, that's, uh, I carry in the same holster now as well, and uh, we're happy to and proud to be making those holsters and Uh, get very good feedback from a lot of our customers and i love hearing your feedback about it as well you're not quite as intimately connected to it like say i or some of our team are in terms of because we actually are are making these uh it's still absolutely valuable to because you know you're well versed in concealed carry and using holsters and it's good to good to hear your feedback thanks ben well folks there you go there's our news and gear reviews for today for this week's episode uh I hope that you've enjoyed it and that you find some information here today valuable and helpful for you. We're going to let you go now at this time. We wish you all the best. Hope that you're safe wherever you are. One more shout out to our sponsors. Of course, title sponsor, Silencer Shop. We appreciate their support. Uh, MountainCitySupply.com. That's the place to go for ammunition uh, that's affordably priced. Check them out. I hope that you'll like them. I know I have. Also, readyupgear.com for firearm shooting and other training accessories. Uh, Check it out, readyupgear.com. Thanks so much to our sponsors. Thank you you to you for your support of our sponsors and your support of us. And we will bid you adieu till next time. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.